Well, I'm going to ask if you will to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15. My wife and I, after graduation, went to be a part of a tour in Israel, a Holy Land tour. And then we decided to take a week off and spend that week with my oldest daughter and our youngest son, who are both living in Jerusalem. And uh, probably, I'm going to guess a couple of months ago, maybe a little longer, my oldest daughter called us up and said, Dad, you know my 40th birthday is this summer. So I want to give you three options of where I would like you to take me for vacation. (laughs) One was in Israel, the other was in Egypt, and the third was on the island of Cyprus. I said, well, sweetheart, where would you like to go? She said, well, I've never been to Cyprus. I said, okay, let's go there. So we took a five-day trip there, and uh, we celebrated uh, her birthday while we were there. While we were there, we also were able to spend one evening with a, in a meal with Bob Jones graduates in the city of Limassol, and those graduates ranged back from the 70s all the way up to 2017. And it was a wonderful evening, extremely delightful. The, the uh, folks there are, are just sweet people. One was a pastor, two or three were involved in Christian school ministry, one was a businessman, one was a professor at a local uh, university, and it was a great night. And of course, while we were there, uh, it would be typical maybe, if I could say, to uh, gain a little more curiosity uh, to the biblical texts that are found in the Bible that speaks of Cyprus. I mean, how many times do you visit a country where you find it in the Bible? So we read both the Old and New Testament texts about Cyprus. Cyprus is located in the Mediterranean Sea. It's south of Turkey. It's west of Lebanon, and it's northwest of Israel. Uh, The length of the island from one tip to the other tip is about 140 miles, and at widest point, it's about 60 miles wide. It's about 3,500 square miles, and to put that in context, it's about half the size of the upstate of South Carolina. It's a divided country because it was invaded by Turkey in 1974, and so the north uh, eastern part of the island is controlled by Turkey, and the rest of the island is run by the country of Cyp- Cyprus, and they are Greeks, and they speak the Greek language. So as we were there, I spent some time reading the various passages in the New T- Testament, and when you read it, especially in the New Testament, the island is clearly connected with the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. And it was here that these two were sent out by the church of Antioch in what we call Paul's first missionary journey. They sailed across the Mediterranean to the the Cyprus. They landed at a city called Salamis, which is on the far eastern side. And then they made their way across the island. I, I, I believe they walked across and they would go from town to town preaching. And they came to the other side of the island to a city called Paphos. Paphos had been established there, was controlled by the Romans in that day. Uh, We actually flew into Paphos and we drove to the city of Limassol, which was about 45 minutes away. It was there where the Apostle Paul 
and Barnabas then sailed up into Turkey, and there they went into the region of Galatia, and there they preached to the churches there, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, if you've read the book of Acts, you've read of, of God's working there, and then they finished and they made their way back uh, to the city of Antioch. What I would like to do this morning is read to you the last time that Cyprus is actually mentioned in the Bible. It's found here in Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36. And it's also, I think, one of the sadder passages that we find in the New Testament. Let me read to you verse 36 down to verse 41. It says, And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia. That's referring back to their first missionary journey where John Mark assisted them, spent all their ministry in Cyprus, went up north into Turkey where they were in the city of Pamphylia. And from there it says, the scripture says that he left them. And it says he, and it says, and went not with them to the work. And the, the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into or unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. This narrative is clearly about the division or the separation between Paul and Barnabas. And the division was not so much over their desire to minister, but it was over to whom they were to minister with. And who would have ever thought that this dynamic duo, Paul and Barnabas, I mean, it's the perfect tag team would end up splitting up. And when you read the passage, you you think of the question, who was right and who was wrong? And I want us to take a few moments to just look at this passage because I think it's very important for us as we consider what happened there and how can we learn from that. So let's uh, investigate a little bit deeper. This event between Paul and Barnabas comes at the end of chapter 15. And it's the sequel to the Jerusalem council that took place in the beginning of the chapter in Acts chapter 15. Now, what was this council all about? It was the gathering together of the main early church leaders. So you've got Peter and James and Paul and Barnabas. And they came together to resolve an issue that was taking place in the early church. And that was whether or not Gentiles were required to submit to Jewish circumcision. And the question that basically came out of that was whether or not a Gentile 
had to become a Jew in order to be a Christian. Or you could say it this way, is circumcision an integral part of saving faith for a Gentile? So what was at stake in this issue? Well, I think there were two things at stake. Number one, the first thing was the potential division of the early church into two complete separate bodies. That is a Jewish church and a Gentile church. And of course, if you read the book of Ephesians, Paul makes it very clear that God intended for the two, Jew and Gentile, to be one. But I think the the greater effect of this would be that not only would you have two different bodies, but inevitably you would have two different messages. And that is you would have the Gentile way of salvation and you would have the Jewish way of salvation. Well, a lot was at stake and the issue thankfully was resolved by the council And they came out stating that Gentiles are not required to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. And what was the result? The church was united and the gospel advanced forward. So when this was over with, the council was over, Paul and Barnabas go back to the city of Antioch. Antioch, if you looked at a map today, is north of Lebanon in the country of Syria. So they go back to Antioch, the place where they had been ministering, and after some time, we pick up this narrative. And I want you to notice three things. Number one, the first thing we see is clearly their desires. The Bible here tells us that Paul presents a natural proposal to Barnabas. He says, let us go back and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and let's see how they are. Let's see how they're doing. Well, obviously, this is natural for any preacher who wants to make a follow-up visit. These are churches that they had planted. It doesn't look like it was a new gospel mission, but it was a follow-up mission. They were burdened for the spiritual condition of the churches that they had planted. Furthermore, it is very possible that Paul by this time had already written the book of Galatians. Most conservative commentators say that Paul wrote the book before the council of Jerusalem. Now, obviously there's debate. It could have come right after it, but it was somewhere in this time frame. And so therefore, we know what the book of Galatians is all about. Galatians addressed the issue of those who were teaching that circumcision had to be added to faith in Christ. And Paul's letter debunks that teaching. So obviously, it would be natural for Paul to want to go back and see how they were doing. To see, as the Bible says, let's go to these brothers where the word of God has been proclaimed and let's see how they're doing. But I also want you to know that there was also an underlying motive that we find here in the heart of Barnabas. And what does the scripture tell us? It tells us here that Barnabas wanted to take with them The King James says, determined to take with them, John called Mark. Now, we've already established 
that John Mark left Paul and Barnabas in their first missionary journey. And yet here it says that Barnabas wanted him to come. That word there, the Greek word there, has the idea of the desire to have or experience something with the implication of a reason planned or a will to accomplish the goal. In other words, it's a determined desire. We could say another agenda. Or we could actually say a competing loyalty. Because oftentimes conflicts take place with people in a ministry who may have the same mission, but there are underlying competing loyalties or commitments. And in this case, the Bible tells us what it was. And that is Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark. And herein lies the issue, which leads to the second point, and that is the disagreement. And notice what it says in verse 38. And Paul thought not good to take him with them who departed from them, who departed from, them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. Paul's response was very different than Barnabas's proposal. It says that he thought best not to take him. The phrase thought best means to make a choice on the basis of greater worth. Maybe we could say it this way, that Paul did not want to jeopardize the mission and he thought the mission was more important than the person. Or you could say that Paul viewed Mark as not worthy of going because he didn't deserve to go because of what he had done in the past. Now, why was Paul so strong? Why would he not just concede to Barnabas and say, Barnabas, uh, I think that would be good. Let's, let's, let's give him another chance. And I think it's found in the phrase when Paul says, but Paul thought it not good to take him with them who departed from them. The ESV says has withdrawn. It means to abandon a former relationship and disassociate with them. We use words like defector or a deserter. Now, why did John Mark withdraw? The answer is we don't know. Uh, There's a lot of things we can imagine. Obviously, just the sheer difficulty of the mission that they had. Uh, You read the lifestyle of the Apostle Paul, and not many people want to join up for the mission. It's very, very difficult. We also know that after he left, it got harder because we know Paul, for example, was stoned to death during this time. They were beaten. They probably were affected by uh, physical sickness, all kinds of difficulties. Or it's actually possible that there may have been a doctrinal contention. Remember, John, Mark, and Barnabas were Jews. So was Paul. The Bible tells us that Barnabas was actually from the Levitical tribe. And it could be, and anybody has ever worked in a ministry, if, if, for example, if you've ever been an assistant pastor, there's always an assistant pastor syndrome. 
And that is there's a tendency to think that you might know a little bit more than your pastor. Or it could be that if we did it this way, it would be better. Now, I can't say that that's the way John Mark was thinking, but it could be that he struggled with Paul's law-free, his grace message, where there was no law involved in salvation, that it was by grace through faith. Well, whatever it was, Paul sees John Mark as a man who abandoned their work. And what was the result of Paul and Barnabas' disagreement? It was a huge conflict. Go back and look at what the text says. It says in verse 39, and the contention was so sharp between them. That's one word. There was a sharp disagreement. The Greek word is parox is paroxymos. It's translated the English word paroxysm. It means a violent reaction. It, it's a little bit like an asthma attack when somebody has one. There are varying synonyms that can be used like hysterics, frenzy, agitation, explosion, furor, violence, frothing, Or I would just say he went ballistic. This was not a mild gentleman's disagreement. It was an intense and passionate conflict. And they did not simply agree to disagree. So I want to be clear. The issue between Paul and Barnabas was not over doctrine. It was not based on their commitment to the gospel or the Great Commission. It was not about serving churches or even suffering for the sake of the gospel. It wasn't about the work. It was about the worker. The issue was over relationships. And that's where some of our greatest emotions are found. How Paul and Barnabas related to John Mark deeply affected and changed how they related to one another. So how did they get to this point? I mean, they had weathered many storms together. And yet this one turned into a shipwreck. Well, let me offer you just some suggestions. I think first of all, there was definitely a difference in the way they viewed relationships. For example, John Mark was related to Barnabas. Colossians 4.10 says, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. This was family. You've probably heard the statement, blood is thicker than water. So obviously, the heart of Barnabas would be far greater in his feelings. This is Middle Eastern culture where the family is very, very important. My guess is that John Mark was younger than Barnabas. And so therefore, Barnabas felt even a leadership uh, influence on the life of his his own cousin. But let me also say that... There is always going to be a a tension at times between the work and the worker. Where in this case, I think it was clear that Barnabas was was, was loyal. He was a loyal person to the worker. And I think it would be clear to say that Paul was loyal to the work, to the mission. And this mission superseded everything. 
Some people could say, well, when they look at people in the, in the work of God, what can they do for God's work or what can God's work do for them? But you're going to have differences. Secondly, there was definitely a difference in spiritual gifts. For example, Barnabas was a notable Christian in the early church. So much so, listen to Acts chapter 4, verse 36. It says, thus Joseph, who, also, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, and a native of Cyprus, sold a, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. That statement actually is the prelude for the next chapter, Acts, Acts chapter 5, where uh, Ananias and Sapphira brought their gift, but they held back apart. So he was an example of what it meant to be dedicated. But in his name, we discovered that his given name was the name Joseph. But the church's nickname was he was the son of encouragement. It appears that this is his spiritual gift. He was an encourager. He always saw the bright side. He was an optimist. He was one who was willing to take risks on people. And who knew that better than Paul? Because Paul had experienced from Barnabas in the past his willingness to have his back. Listen to Acts chapter 9 verse 26. And when Paul had come to Jerusalem, this is his first journey after his conversion to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not, know, they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. I mean, you could almost say, Paul, you owe me one. Barnabas was a bridge builder. He was a people risk taker. This was just the way he thought. This was his motivation. This was his default mode. Obviously, he wanted John Mark to have a second chance. I mean, does not grace override sin? And by the time I believe Galatians had been written... Obviously, Barnabas would have known Galatians. And does not chapter 6, verse 1 say, If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest you also be tempted. So obviously, he was an encourager. But what about Paul? Well, we all know Paul was very, very different. We know Paul better than we know Barnabas. Uh, First of all, Paul was an intellectual giant. He was a Pharisee. He was a master of the law. He had been directly communicated by God over a three-year period in the desert. He was a prophet by gift. He had the gift of wisdom and discernment. And consider his ministry was so different than, than Barnabas's ministry. Because from the very start of his ministry, it was centered around conflict. He was let down out of the city of Damascus to escape the king who wanted to take his life. He goes up to the city of Jerusalem and he's immediately rejected by the early church. 
He then is on his first missionary journey, experiences great persecution. And then he writes his first letter, the letter to the church of Galatia. And it was a no more Mr. Nice Guy letter. It was very combative. And no question he would look at John and see him as unfaithful. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Meddle not with them that are given to change, Proverbs 24, 21. He failed the dependability test. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So you got a difference in gifts. And then let me say one other thing. And this is uh, just implication, but there could be a difference in personal hurts between the two. I am sure that there were challenges all along, all along the way in ministry between the two, no doubt about it. I mean, you can't do what they did and not have challenges. But there were two events that could have been a source of real hurt. The first one actually had to do with Paul. And that is when we read the book of Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, we have the incident where Peter is confronted by Paul. And what is the incident about? Peter is eating with Gentiles who are believers because they have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. They've been cleansed. They've been purified by faith in their hearts. But Peter begins to withdraw fellowship from these Gentiles that is eating with them. Why? Because certain men from James in Jerusalem came and they began to pressure him. And, and, and if you understand it, Jews don't eat with Gentiles because they're not going to eat unkosher food. But Peter knew that all things were clean because he had learned that in Acts chapter 10 and God told him that. But many times we can be pressured to do things even though we know that the scripture says something different. And so he was, he was confronted by the apostle Paul. And Paul said, look, your actions are saying that you don't believe in the gospel of grace. Your actions are saying that you believe in a legal approach to salvation. That's why you're withdrawing. That's why he confronted him. The gospel message was at stake. But something else happened. And if you read Galatians, it says that Barnabas followed Peter. And no doubt, Paul was disappointed. It may be that they were reconciled and they made things right because that clearly happened with Peter. But there could be lingering wounds and differences over Paul's message. But Paul saw by the action of Barnabas, he saw some hypocrisy. And anytime you get close to people, the longer you're with them, you're going to see inconsistencies. There are always inconsistencies in God's people, especially God's workers. But what about what Barnabas saw in Paul? And this one to me is he could really cry hypocrisy. Because Paul, Barnabas, was the one who stuck up for Paul. On two occasions when he came to Jerusalem the first time, and when, when Barnabas went and got Paul from Tarsus and brought him to Antioch and essentially put him on the map in the ministry, Barnabas had Paul's back and now he feels like Paul is turning on him. And ironically, 
here's what Barnabas is saying. Paul, I'm doing for Mark what I did for you. This is hypocrisy. So here Paul and Barnabas, and potentially they're looking at each other, and they're seeing the negatives in the hypocrisy in both. And once you begin to think evil of another brother, your relationship will be severely damaged. And that leads me to the final thing, and that is the division. Let's go back to our text and see. It says in verse 39, And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, Cilicia, confirming the churches. The Bible here says that they separated from one another. Literally, they split up. I don't know if the, I don't sense that this was an amicable divorce. And it came down to a matter of principle or what was perceived as right between the two. I mean, I think so what it come down to. One saw this is right, the other saw this is right, and the question is, who was wrong? Or was there a wrong? Or were they both wrong? It's hard to know. Now, there's an implication here that the church commended Paul and Silas. And Barnabas and Mark left and they went to Cyprus. Now, was that mean by implication that Paul and Barnabas, uh, Paul and Silas were the commended ones? And therefore, Barnabas and, and Mark were the uncommended ones? Well, it's hard to know. For example, Cyprus is where Barnabas is from. He could have simply just gone back home. Or he could have gone back to his island, taken Mark with him, and they worked over the churches, and he worked to build Mark's life personally. We don't know. So as we conclude this morning, how do we look at this? And let me look at it from this standpoint. There's some downsides, and then there's some upsides. The downside is, first of all, it's very disappointing. One person wrote, the omission omission." of a harmonious conclusion indicates the unstated but undeniable failure of two of the greatest souls the church has ever known. There's no question that this is always disappointing. I think it had an impact on the church of Antioch. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us it did. But look, you've been in church long enough to know. If you were a member of the church and Paul and Barnabas split up, what would that do to the church? The news would have spread to other believers in other churches. I don't think they're just going to contain it in Antioch. God's people do gossip. And it's going to move fast. And the word's going to get out. And no doubt, somebody would have said something about the fact that they had just come from the conflict in Jerusalem. And they had seen how these things are dealt with. And they could not resolve their own personal conflicts between one another. So that's the downside. But what's the upside? There is some upside. Because God is never going to be defeated in these kinds of circumstances. First of all, God used it to increase fruitfulness and service. There were two teams now out spreading the gospel. 
Someone said preachers are like manure. You get them together and they raise a big stink. But when you spread them out, they get a lot of, done, a lot of good done. It often happens. My, my pastor that ordained me into the ministry that went to be with the Lord this last year, Dr. Ed Nelson, was a great, great man of God. I had the highest regards for him. The last revival meeting I held for him was in a church that he had planted in Tucson, Arizona. And this was the second meeting that I held at his church. And one night we were talking, I said, Dr. Nelson, it's very interesting to me that since I have been here last time, you have planted two churches directly and two churches indirectly. In other words, God is going to get his work done even in the midst of working with imperfect people. If God had to depend on perfect people to accomplish his work, he would never get anything done. Let me also say that Silas brought to Paul's ministry some ingredients that Barnabas just simply didn't have. He was a Roman citizen. He was a prophet. I understand that both Paul and Silas took a Myers-Briggs personality test. And they both turned out to be ENTJ. They worked together great. He probably spoke Greek, which helped. He served as Paul's stenographer and wrote the Thessalonian epistles as Paul basically gave him the words. And he actually later on helped Peter write his first epistle. So you could say Barnabas was a loss, but Silas was a great gain. God changes his workmen, but his work goes on. And then, of course, we know that Barnabas must have worked with Mark. And how do we know this? Because we have one of the greatest stories in the New Testament of a restoration of a brother who was going through some issues and God helped him to get over it. John Mark, who later traveled with Peter and from those travels wrote the gospel according to Mark. I mean, come on. How great is that of what God did out of this event? And finally, at the end of Paul's life, Paul was surely reconciled to Mark and was able to recommend him in ministry. And we have two verses. Let me give them to you. Colossians 4.10. Paul writes to the church of Colossae, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions If he comes to you, welcome him. And then finally, at the end of Paul's life, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, the last words that Paul ever wrote before he went to heaven, he said, get Mark and bring him with you, writing to Timothy, for he is very useful to me for ministry. It's like they went full circle. And what do we see? We see that God is in control. Even throughout all of the vicissitudes of life, all the changing things that go on, God is in control. And therein lies our greatest comfort of what God is doing 
May we trust him and walk with him and serve him joyfully that he has given us this work to do. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for your faithfulness in all things. Lord, as we read this story, we cannot help but think of ourselves. Because if this is Paul and Barnabas, what about us? Help us, Lord. Grant us grace. And help us to respond to you in a manner that pleases you in all things. And thank you for your control over your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day. Thanks for being here.